Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. I am thrilled to get to open up God's Word and the good news is God is going to speak to us this morning because he always does uh, when we dive into what he has to say to us in Scripture. Uh, so before we jump in, and as, as Adam said, do keep, uh, if you can, that passage open in front of you. That's going to be really helpful. Before we jump into it, why don't we pray together? So Father, God, thank you that we do get to hear from you again this morning. God, thank you that there's no question about that, but that you have promised to speak to your people through your word and in the speaking to meet with us to come and be with us, to come and work in and through us. And so God, that's what we are expecting, what we are hoping for, what we long for this morning. So come, we ask, and be with us and speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was uh, a child, when I was younger, uh, I used to play the piano. I had piano lessons, uh, and I had piano lessons from when I was uh, in primary school all the way through into secondary school. Uh, And I have uh, very fond memories of playing the piano. I still play a bit today. Uh, Very fond memories of my lessons. But I I think I was quite a bit like a, a lot of other children Uh, who were my age when I was having piano lessons. And I think I was like them in in this way. Uh, I wasn't very good at practicing. Uh, And by by that I mean I didn't really practice. And, And so not infrequently what would happen is I would get to the night before one of my kind of weekly piano lessons and I wouldn't have done any practice in the week leading up to that lesson. And so in a rush of panicked scales and and unlooked at pieces that I was meant to have worked on, I would try and cram a week's worth of repetition and familiarization into a single half an hour sitting. And to any of you who perhaps have played an instrument or, or done something similar, I'm sure it will come as no surprise that this never worked. You know, my teacher was very gracious and understanding and very patient with me, but she could always tell that I hadn't been practicing and done the practice that I said I would or that I needed to do. And and as a result, I would never have made any progress. I'd be exactly where I was the week before, or, or if anything, I'd be a bit further back. And it's a cliche isn't it? But it is true. Practice really does make perfect. Any instrument, any skill, anything of real value in our lives usually takes slow, steady, and consistent determination. It takes something that doesn't feel very dramatic, but it's the only way that we change. Slow, steady consistency. It's the only way that we move forward. It's the only way we become the sorts of people we want to be. Whether that's a great piano player, a 
great sportsman, whatever it is, the only way we develop is through that kind of consistency. It's true of those skills. But I want to suggest to you this morning that it's also true of living a worthwhile, good life. Or to say the same thing uh, a little bit differently, it's true of a faithful, honouring, God-directed life. If we want to live the sort of life that is directed towards God, you can't cram it in half an hour before your weekly lesson. It takes daily consistency. And this is the sort of life that we see on display in the book of Ruth and in the chapter that Johnny just read for us. Because what we see in this story is a story of God using people who aren't doing anything dramatic or extraordinary or classically heroic. Now, in in Ruth, God uses the everyday, ordinary faithfulness of his children to weave together the tapestry of his greater story. And so perhaps you've asked yourself before whether your life could be part of something bigger, whether your life could be significant. Maybe you found yourself, maybe in the last week, asking yourself if it really matters if you're faithful today, if you hold fast to the life that God has called you to, or if you just give it up and go in for something that's a little bit easier. Well, I believe that God has inspired this book to show us, amongst other things, that what is true for Boaz and Ruth is true for us. You and I, through everyday, ordinary faithfulness, through the hard graft of the undramatic, can become a part of God's greater purposes for our lives and his world. We can become a part of God's plans for eternity right where we are. And so to get there, I want to uh, take a little bit of time to understand this chapter uh, from Ruth. Because it's a little bit strange, isn't it? It seems to be full of lots of customs that aren't familiar to us that might seem uh, uncomfortable or weird or just unknown. So we're going to just start by understanding what's going on. So as I said, do uh, have it open in your Bible, on your phone, in front of you. I think that will really help as we go through this now. Uh, Because at the centre of this chapter is this strange ritual that Naomi instructs Ruth to follow. She tells Ruth to clean herself up, to get dressed to the nines, to sneak to where Boaz is sleeping, to pull up his duvet and to make sure his feet get cold. It's a strange ritual. What is going on here? Well, it turns out quite a bit. And scholars don't know exactly what is happening in this ritual as there's not a record of it taking place in exactly this way anywhere else. Some parts of it could be very literal, exactly what we're reading. Some parts of it could be metaphor that point to some, something else. Some parts of it could even possibly be euphemistic. And we're not really sure exactly what is being described. But what we are sure of is what Ruth 
is trying to achieve. And it's this, if we were to say it in our kind of modern day cultural context, Ruth is proposing to Boaz. Ruth wants Boaz to marry her. And this is because of what we read of in this chapter about this position of kinsman redeemer. You see, the idea of kinsman redeemer was something that was established in the customs and laws of the Jewish people. Uh, If a husband died uh, without leaving an heir to his family line so his name would be continued into his wealth and property, then it was the responsibility of the next closest family member, perhaps a a brother or a cousin or whatever it was, the next closest family member uh, was meant to marry his wife and to continue uh, the deceased husband's family line. And so if Ruth and Naomi could find uh, Naomi's family's kinsman redeemer to marry Ruth, they knew that they would be taken care of, that they'd be lifted out of the poverty that they had found themselves in and would be cared for. And Boaz, as Naomi says in verse 2, is a relative. He could be their kinsman redeemer. He could be the answer to the problem that they found themselves in. But for whatever reason, Boaz had not taken the first move. He'd not got his act in gear and offered to marry Ruth. Uh, But Naomi isn't going to sit around and wait for her salvation. And so she hatches a plan with Ruth so that they can take matters into their own hands. And so as we read in this chapter, Ruth puts on her best clothes and her best perfume. She changes out of her clothes of mourning that she was probably wearing since her husband had died and she dresses to impress. See, she dresses to attract she, address, she dresses to win over. And this was a risk for Naomi. This was no small thing that she did. Now from Boaz's response in verse 10, we know that she could have gone after more appealing, more attractive, wealthier prospects rather than staying faithful to, to Naomi and her family. But more than that, Ruth was putting herself in a truly vulnerable position amongst these farmers at harvest time. Because there's some evidence that, that it could have been a real risk that she would have come uh, on, the, on the bad end of immoral practices uh, to do with fertility rights in local religions. This was a real risk for her, putting herself in such a vulnerable position. But Ruth, as this book again and again goes at lengths to tell us is courageous and loyal and faithful. And so she puts her trust in Naomi and in Boaz and ultimately, ultimately in God. And she takes this risk with boldness. Ruth, as this book really wants us to know, is an, an extraordinary woman. She's an extraordinary woman of faith. She's a woman of noble character. 
Uh, but this book is full of such people. It's not just Ruth, but Boaz as well abounds with remarkable kindness and righteousness and honor. You know, he's what we might call today a stand-up gent. You know, without hesitation, he honors and respects Ruth and her courageousness. He immediately expresses his intention to do as she asks, to do as he is meant to, and marry her as kinsman redeemer. And he marks what he wants to do with this generous gift of as much barley as Ruth could hope to carry a gift of provision, of safety in their situation of poverty. And then he promises to rush off and do quickly whatever it would take to bring about their marriage. And there you have it. Ruth 3. That's it. A proposal, someone saying yes, and then the beginnings of plans for a marriage to take place. Now really there is nothing dramatic to this story. But isn't that so often the case? Isn't it true that in all of our lives, you know, when we consider how we got ourselves to where we are in those places that are most important to us, more often than not, the story is quite undramatic. It's full of daily decisions that get us to where we find ourselves. And maybe if you look back at the story of how you met your spouse or your best friend, when you think about where you live or the job that you do, if you think about your journey of faith, and if I had to guess, I am sure that for most of us, our lives are the culmination of lots of really important but undramatic days and decisions and moments. Now that's certainly true of my faith story. You know, there's lots of reasons why I'm a Christian today. You know, consistency at church from my parents, uh, learning to read the Bible for myself, formational Christian festivals. You know, these are all things amongst many others that I would point to as things that contributed to me being a Christian. But whenever I'm asked why I'm a Christian and how I got to where I am today, I always tell the story of Simon. You see, Simon was uh, my youth worker at church uh, when I was a teenager. And Simon agreed to meet with a, me and a, and a few of my friends uh, once a week uh, over coffee and hot chocolate, just to talk about life and faith. And you know, as best as I can remember, nothing particularly dramatic ever happened. I couldn't point to a particular meeting to an answer that he gave me, or any heaven-splitting revelations that we had. In fact, one of my few specific memories that I have is of a question that Simon couldn't answer. But Simon's faithful, weekly, loving act of just getting coffee with me and my friends and chatting slowly and perhaps in unseen ways at the time, shaped my life for the better. Simon, 
through this undramatic act has defined in some way by the power of God who I am and where I find myself. James Clear, the author of a book I'd recommend to any of you who want to think more about this idea of daily becoming the people we want uh, to be, I wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and in that he puts it like this. He says, change can take years before it happens all at once. All of that is to say this. What we do today, what we do tomorrow matters. Those small and unseen decisions of faithfulness and obedience to Jesus may not be or feel dramatic, but they are so important in shaping who you and I are going to become next week, next year, or in many years from now. Those choices to love, to stay, to read your Bible, to share your faith with your children or your friends, to forgive, to persevere, to worship. They may not seem dramatic at the time. They may not even seem important. But those daily decisions are making you. They are determining who you will become. And they are the material that God is using to weave together the tapestry of your life and the greater tapestry of history. And that's what we see happening in Ruth chapter 3. God is using everyday faithfulness to weave a greater story. And do come back next week to hear exactly how incredible that story is as it all comes to a culmination in Ruth chapter 4. But for now, I wonder what everyday faithfulness God might be calling you to today that might seem undramatic or difficult or not exactly what you might choose to do or want to do if just left to your own devices but that is nevertheless important and God's call to you to be faithful and true I don't know what that small act of faithfulness is going to be for each one of you but I bet some of you do know what it is for you. And I bet that even as I've been speaking, maybe that person you need to be faithful to, that decision that you need to make, that action that you're not sure you want to take has popped into your head. And maybe you're feeling challenged or convicted or your heart is starting to race as I speak And as you think about that thing, can I humbly suggest to you that that may well be God speaking and his spirit at work within you to help you to see, 
to pay attention, to hear what it is he is calling you to. Whatever that thing is, whatever it looks like, perhaps, is, perhaps God is calling you to some everyday faithfulness that beyond what you can ask or imagine, he wants to use to write a better story for you. And so can I encourage you not to ignore that voice, that sense, that nudge, to not run away because it's too hard, to shake it off because it's too challenging or to explain it away because it's too inconvenient. Now, if God is speaking to you now, today, this moment is the time to respond. Speak to him in prayer. Ask someone to pray with you that God would give you power to be faithful. Ask a friend or family member to walk with you into whatever it is you are sensing God is calling you to. I believe that God is speaking this morning. So the question is, will you hear and respond? You know, when I was planning uh, this sermon for this week, this isn't where I expected to stop, where I thought we would get to, but this is what I think God wants to say, what he wants to do uh, amongst us. So that's where I'd like to finish And I'd like to pray for us. Because God is weaving a tapestry of grace and love and beauty with our lives. Do you know what the good news of being a Christian, if you're a Christian or if you're not yet, but perhaps you want to be, do you know what the good news of being a Christian is? Having been saved, God isn't done with us. But he wants to, if we let him use us to make something beautiful in the world, in our relationships. He wants to weave a better story. He wants to use our everyday, ordinary faithfulness to love, to stay, to stop, to not give up, to send the difficult message, to forgive after so many years to come back next week to pray with a spouse these undramatic decisions God wants to use and so I want to pray for all of us and whether you're profoundly aware of what it is God is calling you to do or if you're not yet sure I want to pray that God would equip and empower us to faithfulness that he'd wake us up and give us ears to hear what it is that he's calling us to if we're not sure and most of all I want to pray that we would know his kindness his grace his strength in our weakness in our everyday ordinary undramatic moments when we get it right and when we miss the mark.